We are back to our prophecy series, our end time event series. You may recall the series began with a look at the church age, the time period in which we live where the chief vehicle of blessing by God's sovereign plan is the church. And we said the church age will end with the rapture event where Christ comes in earth's atmosphere and in the twinkling of an eye, he catches up all believers on the globe and we're taken to be with him. Graves of believing dead are opened at that rapture return and bodies resurrected and glorified. Those of us who are alive at the coming of Christ for the rapture of the church will be caught up alive, which is an amazing concept to ponder. So church age, rapture, we've said that based on some of the signs we see in the news in the Middle East and other parts of the world, that we may well be near the end of this church age period. I don't have a date. God didn't give me a date. But when you look at the seasons, we could be near the end of the church age and therefore near the time of the rapture of the church. After the rapture of the church, seven years of tribulation will ensue on the earth of literal intense judgment of God on the inhabitants of planet earth. You read about that in Revelation chapters 4 through 19. After the seven years of tribulation will be a second return of Christ, the first one being seven years previous as a rapture return, the second installment of Christ's return, we just simply call the second coming of Christ, when Christ will descend from heaven, this time not only to earth's atmosphere, but ultimately to the Mount of Olives on the east side of the city of Jerusalem. And Christ will come and set his feet down upon the Mount of Olives and walk through the eastern gate of the old city wall of Jerusalem and will assume David's throne, his Davidic throne, which he is entitled to reign upon, to reign upon planet Earth for a thousand years. We call that the millennium. In that thousand-year period, King Jesus will rule with an iron scepter. He will suppress evil with force. The end of that thousand years Satan, I should say Satan, is confined during that thousand years in a pit. Christ will release Satan after a thousand years to give him, as it were, one last attempt to uh, overthrow Jesus. When he's released from the pit, he will summon those on earth that don't like King Jesus, although the earth conditions have been ideal, and basically he'll say, who wants to take out King Christ? And it says in Revelation 19, that those who are willing to try to fight against Jesus, the king, are innumerable, like the sand of the seashore. That battle will be won by Jesus, not by scud missiles, not by tanks, but by the word of his mouth. And he'll destroy all those that would rebel against him at the end of a thousand years by the word of his mouth. The same mouth that spoke the universe into existence will judge all his opponents at the second coming event. After the second coming event, there will be a very uh, solemn and serious final judgment, the great white throne judgment. We read about it in Revelation 20, verses 1 uh, through 11. And in that um, great white throne judgment, all of the unbelieving dead from Adam and Eve's time and every other era since that time, those who not have not believed in God for salvation will one by one appear before now king and judge Jesus and be sentenced to a degree of punishment in a literal hell. It says they're judged according to the deeds that are recorded in the books. And if their name was not found written in the Lamb's Book of Life, singular, then they will be banished and sentenced to hell, commensurate with their evil doings while on earth. So that's the panorama. 
We've looked at a message on the church age. We've looked at a message at the rapture of the church. And this morning, we're going to look at a, the uh, bima, which is the Greek word for the judgment seat of Christ. So this will be taking place in heaven right after the rapture. The believers who are with Christ in heaven will have this bima, judgment seat of Christ, evaluation. Meanwhile, when that's going on in heaven, down on earth, are the seven years of tribulation for those who do not know Jesus as their Savior, although some will come to believe in him after the rapture, and they will die a martyr's death in the seven years of tribulation. So this morning we're looking at an evaluation, an evaluation of born-again believers that takes place right after the rapture of the church during the time of the tribulation on the earth. I'm going to start by looking at 2 Corinthians 5, if you have your Bibles encourage you to go there, 2 Corinthians 5 and verse 10, to be more specific. 2 Corinthians 5 and verse 10. For we must all appear before the judgment seat of Christ, that each one may be recompensed for his deeds in the body according to what he has done, whether good or bad. This is an evaluation of each and every believer, and it's an evaluation of our deeds whether they're good or bad, will expand on what that good or bad means. It doesn't mean sin or righteous acts. It means, it means uh, the quality of your deeds and mine when we've been on earth, uh, in the church, and outside the church with evangelism. So each of us are going to appear before the Savior at this place called the judgment seat of Christ. And as I said, the Greek word for the judgment seat of Christ is bima. Say that with me, bima, one more, bima is the judgment seat of Christ. The Corinthian Christians knew about the literal bima. It was the public place where civic matters were heard and ruled upon in the city of Corinth. It was also the place in the city square, the, the um, judgment seat was a place where athletes were either rewarded for prowess, athletic prowess, or they were unrewarded because they didn't win the race. So the Spirit of God borrows this bima, this judgment seat, which was known to the first readers of First and Second Corinthians, and he says there's going to be a granddaddy of them all bima. There's going to be a bima to beat all the bimas, and it's going to be an evaluation of Christians and their deeds, future. So all of us who know Christ as Savior will be brought before Judge Jesus right after we're raptured, and each of us will individually and publicly be evaluated, not for heaven or hell. That's been determined on earth when we trusted Jesus to be our Savior. He saved us, and we are destined for heaven as a grace gift. So this evaluation is not a heaven-hell evaluation. Rather, it's a quality of works done evaluation. For Ephesians 2.10, for we are his workmanship created in Christ Jesus for good works that were charted out for us beforehand that we should walk in them. Another way to put this is the beam of judgment seat of Christ doesn't focus on Ephesians 2.8 and 9, for by grace you have been saved through faith and that not of yourselves. It is a gift of God, not of works, lest anyone should boast. It's not an evaluation based on that. But it's an evaluation, what did Rob Elliott do to serve Christ? And in the eyes of heaven, which are the only eyes that count, were the things that Rob Elliott did rewardable? Or were they unrewardable? And so I want to draw some um, 
observations, five to begin with, out of this one verse, 2 Corinthians 5.10. Let me reread it. For we must all appear before the judgment seat of Christ that each one may be recompensed for his deeds in the body according to what he has done, whether good or bad. The first observation I make with you is that, number one, no Christians will be excused from this evaluation. We all must appear before the judgment seat of Christ, no exceptions. Number two observation, it will be a revealing of our good works and their quality. It will be a revealing of all of our good works, and specifically for each good work, a revealing of its quality. There will be, on the one hand, some good works that you will do and I will do that are rooted in dedicated service, and these good works have eternal impact. They may be other good works that I do or that you do when evaluated will be done, seen to be shallow activity, just church activity, busyness, that really these activities really didn't have any eternal impact. Those are basically the, the binary outcomes possible at the judgment seat of Christ. Again, no Christian will be excused. Second, it'll be revealing of our good works and their quality. It says that they will be, that for we all must appear. The Greek word here means it will be revealed. It will be displayed for all to see. Now, the third observation from this one verse is that the bima will be evaluations of individual Christians. It's going to be a one-by-one Christian evaluation. Beth will not hold my hand when we go. I go before the judgment seat of Christ, and she and I won't be judged together. I will be judged and evaluated separate to her, and she will be evaluated separate to me. It's a one-by-one evaluation. Fourth observation, it will be an evaluation of each Christian's individual good deeds. It will be an evaluation of our individual good deeds. Remember, all of our bad deeds, also known as sins, have already been judged by this point and paid for by Jesus on the cross. So that the The fact that each one may be recompensed for his deeds in the body according to what he has done, it's deeds plural. All my deeds, all of your good deeds will be evaluated at the Bema judgment seat of Christ. My bad deeds, my sins have been nailed to Jesus' cross, paid for once for all time, the just for the unjust. So we're not talking about our sins being punished at the beam of judgment seat of Christ. We're talking about good things we did and what Jesus can judge those as being shallow, busy church activity with no eternal value, or is he going to judge the things that we have done, the individual things that we have done, as being dedicated to him service that have internal impact? That's, that's the evaluation. And so the fifth observation from 2 Corinthians 5.10 about the Bema is that each good deed will either be judged by the Lord Jesus Christ to be worthwhile and rewardable or worthless and unrewardable. The worthwhile, rewardable deeds will be ones that were done out of a dedicated service to Christ that had eternal impact. 
The worthless deeds, the good deeds that we've done that are really worthless and unrewardable would be the shallow activity we did because somebody told us to or because we felt pressured into doing it and it wasn't done with any eternal impact. Now that's interesting and it ought to give us some reason to pause and think. And we'll come back to this a little later in the sermon, but for now, please bookmark in your head the truth that even a good deed done can either be judged by Christ to be worthless or worthwhile. Now, there's another place in the New Testament about the Bema. 2 Corinthians 5.10 is the first reference. Go with me to 1 Corinthians 3.10. You can remember it, 5.10 and 3.10. 2 Corinthians 5.10, 1 Corinthians 3.10. The passage in 1 Corinthians 3 is longer than one verse. It is, in fact, five verses. 1 Corinthians 3, uh, 10 to 15. Let me read these verses with you. According to the grace of God, which was given to me as a wise master builder, I laid a foundation, and another is building upon it. But let each man be careful how he builds upon it. For no man can lay a foundation other than the one which is laid, which is Jesus Christ. Now, if any man builds upon the foundation with gold, silver, precious stones, wood, hay, and straw... Each man's work will become evident, for the day will show it because it is to be revealed with fire. And the fire itself will test the quality, the quality of each man's work. And if any man's work which he has built upon it remains, he shall receive a reward. If any man's work is burned up, he shall suffer loss, but he himself shall be saved, yet so as through fire." So we move from the first verse, which is 2 Corinthians 5.10, just quickly to review. It showed us five things about the Bema. One, no Christian will be excused. Two, it will be a revealing of our good works and their quality. Three, it will be evaluations of individual Christians. Four, it'll be an evaluation of each Christian's individual good deeds. And five, each good deed done will either be judged worthwhile or worthless. Rewardable? Or unrewardable. Now we're over to the second passage on the Bema, 1 Corinthians 3, 10 to 15, and we're going to make some additional observations about this amazing future evaluation called the judgment seat of Christ. The sixth overall observation is for each of us, each of our good deeds will be evaluated by fire. Each of our good deeds will be evaluated at the Bema by fire. The next observation from 1 Corinthians 3, 10 to 15, or the seventh overall observation, some of our good deeds will prove to be inflammable. They will not burn up. They will stand the test of fire. These deeds in this passage, these deeds are compared to gold, silver and precious stones. Of course, if you put gold, silver, and precious stones in a furnace fire, they would stand up. They would not be consumed. These deeds, these good deeds that we are judged to be inflammable are compared to gold, silver, and precious stones, and they will be rewardable. They will reflect a dedicated service to Christ that had eternal value. 
The next observation from 1 Corinthians 3, 10 to 15, or the eighth observation of all, some of our good deeds will be the opposite. Some of our good deeds will prove to be flammable. They will burn up. They will not stand the test of fire. These deeds in this passage are compared to wood, hay, and straw. Put those in a furnace. Nothing's left. Wood, hay, and straw burn up. These are deeds that Jesus, who knows everything, deems unrewardable. Deeds that were just shallow activity with conjunction with the church. Shallow activity that doesn't have eternal import. There's another observation from this passage about the Bema Judgment Seat of Christ. It is the quality of each good work done that is to be evaluated. Jesus is not so much concerned with the quantity of the good works we do while here on earth to serve him. He's more interested in the quality of each good work done in dedicated service to him with eternal impact. He's interested in the quality of it, and that's a reflection on our motivations. That's a reflection on our attitudes. That's a reflection on many different things. And so this judgment seat of Christ, fire will be in play, and fire will test the good deeds of each individual believer in Christ. Some of our good deeds will be inflammable. They will be rewardable. They will be done in dedicated service for the Savior with eternal impact. And other deeds that we have done, good deeds that look fine from the outside to other believers, will be flammable. They will not stand the test of fire. They will be wood, hay, and straw, and they will be burned up, and there will be no reward because it was just shallow, busy activity in the church. Now, the quality of each one of our good deeds will be judged either worthless, flammable, or worthwhile, inflammable. And I think there are some collateral scriptures, some scriptures that speak to the quality of our service for Jesus Christ outside of this particular passage. For instance, I think what's going to be asked, not that Jesus needs the information, was the deed done for God's glory, 1 Corinthians 10, 31. Second, was the deed done with a heart which is up to date with respect to forgiving others? Ooh, there's one. If I'm standing up here right now, bearing a grudge against anybody, refusing to forgive, this sermon will be judged unrewardable. Matthew 5 23 to 24, Jesus said, if you bring your sacrifice to the altar but have something against a brother, don't take your sacrifice to the altar until you ask forgiveness, and then the, your sacrifice will be accepted. Quality, good deeds that are rewardable. Was the deed done in prayerful dependence on God? Jesus said in John 15, 5, apart from me, you can do nothing. Nothing of eternal, rewardable worth. Was the deed done in humility? 1 Peter 5, 5b to 6a, humble yourselves under the mighty hand of God. If, I, if I'm preaching this morning in pride, it's flammable good deed, not rewardable. Was the deed done with gratitude? In all things, we are to give thanks. If I'm up here grudgingly, I can't believe I... I had to preach this morning. Ugh. That's not rewardable. 
Was the deed done with gratitude? And was the deed done with faith placed in God? Hebrews 11.6 said, without faith, it's impossible to please God. If I'm just banking on my training at seminary or my experience as a pastor for close to 30 years and my preaching this morning is not done with my faith placed squarely in God to use the message and to use me in some manner, then the efforts to preach today are for naught. Carry this a little further by way of illustration. The actual act of preaching the word of God is, of course, a good deed, but it may not be a rewardable deed for me. My preaching today, right now, could be evaluated to be wood, hay, or straw by my Savior at the Bema, And what would make this good deed, otherwise good deed of preaching today, unrewardable? Uh, Preaching for my own glory. Look at me. Preaching while holding a grudge. How dare you? Preaching without praying. I've got this. Preaching with pride. No one's better. Preaching without gratitude for the privilege of preaching. That whole mindset, I've got to preach. No, I get to preach. Preaching without faith, praised in God, the Holy Spirit, I'm convincing. So let me review. Today's message is on the judgment seat of Christ, also called the Bema. Can you say Bema? Bema? One more time. Bema? That's better. This is an evaluation of born-again Christians only. It's an evaluation of the good deeds which we have done. This evaluation will judge some of our good deeds to be worthwhile, rewardable, and other of our good deeds to be worthless and unrewardable. So still by way of review, from 1 Corinthians 3, or 2 Corinthians 5, 10, excuse me, no Christian will be excused. It will be a revealing of our good works and their quality. It will be evaluations of individual Christians. It will be an evaluation of each Christian's individual good deeds. Each good deed will either be judged worthwhile or worthless. This means that it's possible for you and me to do good works, to serve Jesus, to look very good in the process, and have one day our all-knowing Savior judge the good works to be worthless or worthwhile. Carrying on with observations by review. For each of us, each of our good deeds will be evaluated by fire. Some of our good deeds will prove to be inflammable. They will not burn up, and these good deeds will be rewarded. On the other hand, some of our good deeds will prove to be flammable. They will burn up, and these good deeds will be unrewardable. And it's the quality of each good deed that will be evaluated at the beam, and not just the quantity. Each good deed's quality will be judged to either be worthwhile or worthless, judged to be dedicated, kingdom-impacting service, or shallow, busy activity without eternal value, rewardable or unrewardable. Was the deed done for God's glory? Was the deed done with a heart up to date with respect to forgiveness? Was the deed done in prayerful dependence on God? Was the deed done in humility? Was the deed done with gratitude? Was the deed done with faith placed in God? Now I have one more observation. That's nine. Based on these two passages in the Bema, those are nine observations. I have a tenth observation for you. And the tenth observation, the final observation, the evaluation is not about heaven and hell. The evaluation is not about heaven and hell. That has been settled 
previous to this evaluation. And if you are standing before the Bema, the judgment seat of Christ, then you are redeemed, you are saved, you are secure in God's family, you are a trophy of God's grace, you're a joint heir with Christ. But it's an evaluation of the quality of our good works as redeemed people. It says that the 1 Corinthians 3.15, after talking about the evaluation of our good deeds being through fire and the flammable and the inflammable uh, comparisons, it says this in verse 15. Listen carefully. If any man's work is burned up, he shall suffer loss, but he himself shall be saved, yet so as through fire. If I stand before Christ and the majority of my good deeds done or even the entirety of my deeds done were flammable and unrewardable, I still am saved. You can't lose your salvation once you're saved. The same grace that saves you is the grace that keeps you securely saved. Once saved, always saved. And I just love the way the Holy Spirit drove this point home because of the need we have to understand the security of our salvation in Christ. Verse 15, if any man's work is burned up, he shall suffer loss. Loss of salvation? No, loss of reward. If any man's work is burned up, he shall suffer loss, but he himself shall be saved. Just in case we missed that fact. But he himself shall be saved yet so as through fire. Some of you older Christians like me remember J. Uh, J. Vernon McGee. Uh, he's still actually on the radio teaching the Bible, although he's been in heavens for decades. Uh, but Dr. McGee on verse 15, which says, If any man's work is burned up, he shall suffer loss, but he himself shall be saved, yet so as through fire. In his grovelly voice, J. Vernon McGee said, Some Christians in heaven are going to smell smoky. That's what we're talking about. It's not a heaven and hell evaluation, but it's rather a evaluation of reward or, or no reward of our good deeds. Remember, it says in Romans 8, 1, that there is now, therefore, no condemnation to those who are in Christ Jesus. That being said, we don't want to abuse God's grace, right? We want to be about his business with his heart attitude for his glory, we want to be serving him with good deeds that have eternal impact. We want to be faithful, dedicated servants of Jesus Christ in this church, if this is your home church, or in all your other home churches, if this is not your home church. We need to be about the king's business with dedication, with commitment, with a desire for his name to be glorified. It isn't about any of us. It's all about him. And it says in 1 Corinthians 3.10 in closing, according to the grace of God, which was given to me as a wise master builder, I laid a foundation. That was Jesus. He told them about Christ. I laid a foundation. And all the churches in Asia Minor that Apostle Paul planted, he laid the same foundation, the person and the work of Christ. According to the grace of God, which was given to me as a wise master builder, I laid a foundation and another is building upon it. But, bottom line to this sermon, but let each man be careful how he builds upon it. 
let each believer be careful how you build upon the foundation who is Christ. Insofar as we can't change the quality of work we've already done for Jesus, that's in the past. Starting now, understanding the principles of this passage on the beam and the judgment seat of Christ, we can go forward with, res- with resounding commitment and dedication to serve Christ in a way that has eternal impact. Let's pray. Oh, Heavenly Father, thank you for pulling back the blind of the window to letting us see that after the rapture that we will be involved in an evaluation, an evaluation of our works, an evaluation of our good works. Oh God, help us going forward to do the good works that you have prepared beforehand that each of us should do with the right heart attitude and the good works that will have eternal impact. Help us, Lord, whether it's a kind word to a homeless person, Lord, whether it's helping a single mother, whether it's giving the gospel to someone in a different socioeconomic bracket than we are in, whether it's helping a new believer grow up into Christ. Help us, Lord, to be about the good deeds you have charted out for each of us to do. May we do so with a dedication and an eye to eternity so that you would even be gracious to reward those good works. And we pray this in Jesus' name.